So we're starting a new series this morning on uh, looking at different characters and their perspective on the, the on Christmas on, on the Nativity story, and we're starting off looking at Elizabeth. And it's interesting from that video. Who would have known that the, the Georgian accent is the same as the Deep South of America? Hey, you learn something new every day, don't you? Uh, that video was really, you know, I found it helpful in just making you think about things maybe a little bit differently. And we are looking at Elizabeth this morning. Elizabeth, we're told in the Bible, was a, was a relative of Mary. We're not quite sure what the relationship was. Maybe a cousin, probably an aunt, maybe a great aunt. We know that, that Mary was, you know, a young teenage girl. And we know that, that Elizabeth was old, we're told in verse 7, of chapter one that she was a, a well her and Zechariah were both well on in years so we know there's a significant age gap between them but we know they're related and that's where we start in the story we're told that Elizabeth and Zechariah had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well on in years they had been waiting a long time for a child. Now we all have to wait, don't we? We, we? You know, we all have different experiences in our life that involve waiting. Is it pointless? Is there any value in waiting? Is it a waste of time? What can we do while we're waiting? For some people it's despondency and despair. For others, potentially, it's a time for growth. And if we look at the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, you know, the first thing we can see is that Elizabeth and Zechariah's experience was one of waiting. Zechariah was waiting to get his turn to go and serve at the temple. They were waiting as all Israel were, for the promised Messiah for 400 years they've been waiting for that and they were personally waiting for a child and we celebrate Advent which is where we as a church wait and think about waiting when we think about the coming Messiah that arrives on very fortunately on Christmas Day that's handy isn't it uh, but it's interesting you know because in this waiting they required patient trust in God. And when we're waiting, it requires us to give God the benefit of the doubt, to use that expression. Trusting in God that his promises will be fulfilled. What made it worse for Elizabeth and Zechariah is the name Zechariah means one who God remembers. One who God remembers and I'm sure they must have lay in the bed at night and thought, does he? Does he actually remember us? You know, has God forgotten as the days turn to months, turn to years, turns to decades? It wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if the question of when will this child arrive turned to why has God not done this? It would be natural for that to happen. You know, a growing sense that God had just forgotten about them. God had just passed them over. 
And I don't know if, if that relates to you in any way in your circumstances this morning, that you're waiting. And there's a potential for these weights to turn to doubts, to turn to fears, to turn to anger, to turn to a lack of faith, a lack of confidence in God. You know, sadly, I have no simple answer to this. There isn't a magic wand I can say that makes it all okay. You know, it is difficult. But in Elizabeth's situation, her waiting was obviously, in the end, rewarded. But what happens if your waiting doesn't seem to be rewarded? What happens if the waiting seems just to be endless? You know, I, I want to encourage you that we have to live through the waiting. We have to look to God through the waiting and see what we can learn from it. I read Rick Warren's thought for the day every day and it's amazing how often when I'm preaching that something that he says fits exactly into um, what I'm going to be talking about. And this Monday, Rick Warren said this, one of the most obvious evidences of faith is how you respond to the waiting rooms in life. How long can you wait? That's a mark of maturity. Children, of course, and maybe teenagers, and maybe some adults, children, of course, have a hard time waiting. They've not learned the difference between no and not yet. If you tell them not yet, they think that means it's not going to happen. But as we get older, we learn that's not the case. In God's plan, timing is crucial. Many times it may be the right thing, but just the wrong time. You don't want to get behind God, and you don't want to get ahead of God. Which, if you remember, is what Steve was talking about just last week. You want to be just in his time, because God's timing is perfect in your job, in your marriage, in your education, in your retirement, in answer to prayer, in every area of your life. You know, personally, myself and Stella are going through a time of waiting, and it's really tough. But, you know, we look at the, the, the Bible and look at, you know, the things that Rick said and others say, the Bible says, we have no choice but to trust. It's not easy. In fact, it's the opposite of easy. It's really hard. But I, I need to encourage myself and encourage you that if you're going through a time of waiting, that you just need to trust God and hang in there. Because things could change. So we get to the next part of our story. And the next part of our story, we get the, the typical you know, daily event that seems to take place around the nativity scene which is an angel pops up and chats to Elizabeth. I don't know how often angels pop up and appear to you in your daily life, but it seems to happen all the time around the nativity. And we get this angel who pops up and ch actually chats to Zechariah and, and tells him that, that, that Elizabeth is going to get pregnant and you're going to have a son. And this son is going to be a phenomenal guy. He's going to be, be a foreteller of the coming Messiah. He's going to be God's instrument, you know, and Elizabeth gets this news, you know, from Zechariah using a tablet, I'd imagine. iPads were around then. Uh, and what does she do with this phenomenal news? We're told she does nothing. 
It doesn't tell anybody. It doesn't go around the village saying to all the women, see, see, I'm pregnant. You doubted, see, see, it's here. And not only that, he's God's messenger. She doesn't do that. She does nothing. It says for five months, she kept it to herself. Now, a slight side angle on this. That is not the normal response to things in the 21st century. The normal response to things in the 21st century is this, isn't it? This, that's the normal response. When we get any news, good news, bad news, average news, we post it. But I just want to just, you know, put out a warning here. You know, be very, very careful about what you stick on any of these social networking sites. What you put on there reflects who you are. The vocabulary that you use, the language that you use, reflects who you are. The pictures that you put on there of yourself reflect who you are. And they're on there forever. I also want to encourage you not to have arguments with your partner fought out on the internet or have arguments with your friends fought out online. I know of a couple of Christian couples who have their arguments online on Facebook for the world to see. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. I want to encourage you, don't do that. The other issue you know, with the internet and with social media is that it's a place that people often go to for their self-esteem. You know, we know the issue with the amount of selfies that are taken, billions of selfies that are taken and put online and adapted and adopted, waiting for the likes to come back. And I want to encourage you, you know, that we don't get a self-esteem from the amount of likes we get on our streams or on our pictures or on our selfies or whatever it may be on our stories, that we get our self-esteem from our relationship with God and with each other, that we're a church that build each other up and we get our self-esteem from that. Elizabeth got phenomenal news and did nothing with it. She just, for five months, chilled her and God, gobsmacking news, and she just chilled. We don't know why Elizabeth didn't do anything. Maybe it was because she was scared of having a miscarriage. We know that many women don't announce it for, say, three months. We know that, don't we? But maybe it was just because she was content. Just her and God was enough. But I'm just using that, as, as you can tell, as a slight side issue to say, just please, this Christmas, be careful how we use that stuff there. So, what else can we learn from this story? Well, something else that came to my mind in this story is that Elizabeth had a wonderful blessing. You know, wonderful, wonderful joy, wonderful blessing. But blessings don't come in isolation. They come with challenges. And somehow we think that if we're blessed by God, everything should be plain sailing. But it's not the case. It's 
definitely not the case with children, is it? They are a blessing, more often than not, aren't they? Yeah. They are a blessing. But Elizabeth was old. You know, she started to have the pain of carrying that child, the pain of looking after, the sleepless nights, and all that kind of stuff. The blessing came with responsibility. It came with challenges. You know, myself and Stella, you know, look after little Daisy, who's, you know, one year old now and still wakes up most nights somehow. Uh, And I said to Stella, I've said it to her a few times, I understand why you have children when you're young. Because it's really tiring when you're old. You know, them two, they've got it easy. They're both still young-ish. I mean, I know they're in their 30s, but you know, Hannah's not. (laughs) That took two seconds, one second. (laughs) You know, but it's tough. The joys, the blessings we receive comes with responsibility and challenge. So I, don't, I want to encourage you not to be naive in that, that if you are blessed, you know, with work, with children, with whatever it may be, that there will be challenges with that. And don't think somehow you're now not in God's favor because you've got hassles or responsibilities linked to your blessings. So, we get to the part in the story when Mary comes along to visit Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. And, and Mary comes to see her and arrives in, in the hill countries of Judea. And, and uh, Mary's probably even a bit more than I am, to be honest. Not, or not Mary, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's a bit more than I am. I've put some weight on for the part to make it visual for you. Uh, and Mary arrives and goes, wow, Elizabeth, you, you, you're pregnant. Elizabeth goes, yeah, you, you wouldn't believe what happened. An angel visited us and told us that we're going to have this miracle take place and we're, and we're going to have this son and he's called John. We know that already. And he's going to proclaim the, the coming Messiah. How amazing is that? And Mary goes, oh, I've got some news as well. An angel visited me and told me that I'm pregnant and I've got the coming Messiah. All right. Oh. <laughs> I wonder how Elizabeth would have felt. How would have Elizabeth felt? Elizabeth had the most gobsmacking news that anybody's ever had in history up to that point in time. But then Mary trumps her. <laughs> Mary trumps her. What's the chances of her stumbling into the only person in the entire history of the world that's, that's going to carry the actual Messiah? And it's her relative. What is the response of Elizabeth? This is it. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child within you. Why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Unbelievable humility. Unbelievable humility. No aspect of jealousy. She, for six months, 
has been pondering the fact that she is carrying the guy who's going to proclaim the coming Messiah. The guy who's going to have an instrumental part in the plan of God for this world. And with that, somehow, she still remained humble. You know, the 21st century version of that a little bit is when somebody gets engaged and they've got a lovely diamond ring and they show it to their busy mate who goes, oh, I just got engaged as well. Oh, my ring's three times the size of yours. Yeah. And the woman goes, well done. And then obviously spits behind the back. Yeah. But that's not what Elizabeth does. And a challenge for me this morning, a challenge for you this morning, is can you just be happy for somebody else's blessing? Just be happy. Not go into coveting, not go into jealousy. Just be happy because somebody else has been blessed. It's easy to say. It's not so easy to do. I remember being at a Christmas party with, with Joe, my 21-year-old son. He was only about three at the time. And we were getting presents from, like, Santa. And, uh, and Joe opened his presents, and then the boy next to him opened his present, and instantly Joe wanted that present. We can all relate to that at some level, can't we? You know. But, you know, as adults, can we just be happy? When somebody else gets a promotion, when somebody else gets a gift, when somebody else has a lovely house, when somebody else says, you fill it in in your situation. Maturity is saying, oh, I am so happy for you. Full stop. It's not easy. But Elizabeth managed that. One final point. In verse 37, we didn't quite read this because there was a lot you know, we could have read, we're told this, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. It's an obvious statement in this story. In this story, we see the miracle. We know the miracle of, of Mary. But is it an obvious statement in our lives? I want you to understand what this verse means. This verse doesn't mean we get everything we want when we want it. That is not what that verse means. That verse means that God will achieve what he determines to achieve. Nothing will stop God achieving what he determines to achieve. Nothing is impossible for God. Which means that we can have hope. We can be a people who live with hope. Uh, as I've been preparing this morning, you know, I felt that I was talking an awful lot about emotions, about feelings, and the feelings that, that, that Elizabeth had around this story. You know, Mary was so content with Elizabeth that she stayed with her until the birth of John the Baptist. It doesn't exactly say that in the Bible, but we can do the maths. She visited Elizabeth when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, and she stayed for three months, which you know, brings her up to the birth of John the Baptist, before she went back. 
There was nothing in Elizabeth that, that upset her, that, that unnerved her. You know, Elizabeth was a woman who was humble, content, and ready to serve. And I wonder this morning, you know, where you're at with your feelings, you know, around Christmas and around the Christmas story and what we can do and what we've learned from Elizabeth this morning. So I want to challenge you to, to think about, you know, whatever feelings have come out of this story for you. Be it the feelings of despondency and despair and waiting, or maybe the feelings of hope that you found in waiting. Maybe it be feelings of, of, of lack of self-esteem. Or maybe feelings of feeling secure in your self-esteem because of where you are with God. Maybe it's coping with the challenges and blessings in life and trying to cement them together. Maybe it's the feelings of jealousy or, or trying to establish humility and contentment. Or maybe it's feelings of faith, the lack of faith in this whole process. A whole lot of feelings are valid in this. And I want to encourage you today to seek help in exploring these feelings. Do not allow any negative feelings to fester. We are a church. We want to support each other, encourage each other. We do this through prayer on Sunday mornings. I point this way because that will happen in the next five minutes. We do it through the missional communities. We do it in small groups. We want to be a church that support each other. There is no negative aspect to this within our, our church community. I don't want you to have a downer on yourself and nobody else will have a downer on you. I want you to be the best version of yourself that you can be. We as a church want us to be the best versions of us that we can be. But we don't achieve that in isolation. We need to stretch yourself, to use the analogy from the last sermon series that I've still not forgot that mark, that elastic band. It's still there. Good visual imagery. You know, we need to stretch ourselves in some areas. And this morning there may be an area or two that, that's pricked your conscience, it's pricked your heart. Well, do something with that. Seek help in that area. You know, with God, the sky is not the limit. Nothing is impossible with God. And so this Christmas, I want us to be inspired together by the story of Elizabeth. Thank you. Okay. So I'm going to ask the, the band to, to come back up. Uh, and as the band come back up, I'm just going to, going to uh, pray for us. I'm going to ask the prayer team, there'll be a prayer team across by the windows willing to receive you in prayer this morning. If there's anything that's been on your mind and you like praying for this morning, please go across. Can the prayer team go now, please, so, so that everybody else can see there's people there to receive you. Uh, and there's people there who are, who are willing and desirous to pray. So as we sing, you know, this next uh, uh, batch of songs, you know, make a decision to, to go and seek prayer on that or anything else that's on your mind that, that I've not covered. If you want praying for it this morning, please go across there. Let's just pray together. Father, I, I thank you this morning that you use ordinary people in extraordinary ways, even non-vicars. Lord, I thank you this morning, Lord, that, that, that you are there for us in every situation. And Lord, and we need to seek your face. Seek, you know, to understand your will and your ways. Lord, help us in our failings. 
Help us with our feelings to, to bring them to you so that we can be the people that you want us to be so that we can live an abundant life with you in community together. Amen.